Hi everyone, my name is Pastor Lindell Peterson uh, and I'm currently serving as the Director of Sabbath School and Stewardship at the Australian Union Conference um, and also as the Associate Ministerial Secretary. Uh, and it's my privilege to share with you today and open up the Word uh, with you all and I'm excited about that. Uh, if you've got your Bibles with me, I'd like to just jump straight into it. Uh, my sermon is entitled Ordinary People. And uh, if you open up to Acts 16, we're going to spend a little bit of time in there uh, today. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to jump into that uh, with you. But first, ordinary people. You know, often we remember the extraordinary people. So if I was to say, who invented the telephone? Or who was the first woman to fly solo around the Atlantic? You'd probably be able to answer that pretty well. Um, but what about the first person to microwave something or invent the microwave. Maybe not so much, but I bet you use a microwave pretty frequently. I know I do with young kids. Well, let me tell you, the first person to use a microwave was actually a very ordinary person. It's an engineer by the name of Percy Spencer, who just happened to discover it while he was in a lab working with um, microwaves, and he melted a candy bar in his pocket chocolate everywhere. He then obviously tested it out, tried popcorn and then egg. Not so good to microwave an egg, but just a regular guy that happened to stumble upon something that we wouldn't imagine living without um, these days. Or what about the person who invented the text message? You know, I don't know about you, but texting is practically an essential of modern day life. Um, you know, like the water, water and the internet, we can't live without texting. Well, we have a guy by the name of Neil Papworth to be thankful for our cramped fingers and probably obsessive texting. December 3, 1992, he was working on developing SMS for Vodafone and he sent the first text. What did he send? Merry Christmas. It just happened to be in December. Um, and there you have it. Now, texting is very much a part of our everyday life. He was just a regular office worker working for Vodafone. Well, the first voicemail. I don't know if you still use voicemail. I'm a millennial, so I don't often call people. Um, April 9, 1860, a guy by the name of, and I've got to read this because it's a bit tricky, Edward Leon Scott de Martinville. He inadvertently invented the first voice message. This was decades before voicemail would even become a thing that we use. Um, and what did he choose to send? Well, actually, he sent a 10-second clip of the French folk song, Au Claire de la Lune. Um, scientists, though, weren't actually able to play back the recording until 2008. Can you imagine? They're playing back a recording from 1860 um, that was, hopefully, it was worth the wait. But now we couldn't imagine living without voicemail. Or what about the first human to actually fly? This is another interesting one. November 21, 1783. Marquis de Alain and Pilatre de Rosier. I hope I said that correctly. They became the first humans to fly. They went up in a hot air balloon. Um, the Parisian sky ride lasted for 20 minutes. But as a result, these two ordinary guys inspired centuries of inventors, dreamers, jigsaw puzzle makers to do uh, hot air ballooning. You know, we call them trailblazers. The first, you know, the first man on the moon or the first Nobel Prize winner, the strongest, the fastest, the tallest, the most impressive. But it's the little known, 
ordinary people that seem to have the biggest impact on the way we live our lives today. And I just named a few. Um, when was the last time you used a microwave or sent a text message or used voicemail? Ordinary people can be found doing some of the most extraordinary things. And that's what I wanted to touch on a little bit this morning because I don't know if you realize this, but the Bible is full of ordinary people doing incredibly extraordinary things by the power of God. And that's what we're going to uncover a little bit in Acts 16. So as we open up the Bible, um, let me start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're present and that your um, story, character is weaved throughout Scripture. And as we open up the word today, I pray that you'll give us insight, wisdom and understanding to unpack how you use ordinary people um, to do extraordinary things. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you found Acts 16, I'd encourage you to turn to verses 13 to 15. But before we get into the story here, I want to take a little step back and just um, provide a little bit of a lead in to what's happening in this particular chapter. So Acts, as you may be aware, um, provide a little bit of detail about how Paul started to establish some of the Christian communities in what we now currently would refer to as sort of Asia and Europe. Um, and this particular section, Paul has come to a city in a place called Macedonia, which is important, and the place is called Philippi. Now, Macedonia is important for a couple of reasons. Number one, that's where God actually asked him to go in a vision. And number two, in that vision, God showed him a man in Macedonia, and you can read about this in the previous verses, a man in Macedonia that was saying, come, please help us. Um, Acts tells us this in, in verse 10, that Paul says, we decided then to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. So it was very clear that God wanted Paul to travel to Macedonia and preach the good news. Now, a little bit of background to how Paul normally did this, his evangelism strategy. Generally, coming from a Jewish background, what they would do is they would enter into the town, they'd look for a Jewish synagogue, and they'd preach in the synagogue about Jesus being the Messiah. People would hear, they would convert, and they'd establish a Christian church. Macedonia and its capital Philippi is a very different story. First of all, remember he received that vision of a man calling him to Macedonia. But what he finds when he gets to Philippi is completely different to what he expected. Now, a little background to the actual city of Philippi. We know from earlier in Acts that um, Philippi was a Roman colony. Um, and we also know from historical sources that there was signage outside of the city that said it is actually prohibited to bring any unrecognized religion into the city. So in terms of religion, pretty typical first century city in that there was a large number of gods worshipped, possibly presence of what they call the imperial cult, where you worship the emperor. So the likelihood of finding Judaism in this Roman city is pretty slim. So their traditional evangelism strategy probably was not going to work. They were probably not going to find a synagogue. And we know this because it tells us in these verses that on the Sabbath, they have to look outside the city for a Jewish presence. And they do. They go outside of the city and they find a place of prayer 
particularly they find a group of women in a place of prayer. Side note, all you need in those times to establish a Jewish synagogue was 10 Jewish men in order for a synagogue to exist. So what this also tells us is not only were there no synagogues in town, there weren't even 10 Jewish men to establish a synagogue. But remember, God sent him that vision of a man calling him to Macedonia to help us. So Paul has to take on a little bit of a different evangelism strategy. He was expecting something else, and God provides something very unexpected. He finds a group of women, and in particular, a woman named Lydia. Now, what do we know about Lydia? Verse 14 tells us some important details. Lydia was a trader of purple cloth, so, um, and it tells us that she worshipped God. Sebomene is a term that was used in those times to refer refer to a Gentile that worshipped God. So she was not necessarily a Jewish content, but a Gentile convert. Really interesting complexity it brings here. So we have Paul heading to Philippi, expecting one thing, finding something else. What he does find is a group of very ordinary people, a possibly Gentile woman, who was a believer in God, um, but she was just a merchant, a trader in purple cloth, ordinary person. You know, God uses the unexpected, the regular, the people that, um, that we might otherwise overlook to see his purposes through. You know, there's something that we can glean and understand from what God chooses, and it's very encouraging for us today because it seems like when God chooses the unexpected and the ordinary, he does some incredible things. God seems to have his own criteria of who he's going to use to advance the gospel, people that we might not necessarily expect. But there are a few things that we can glean from this passage that tells us the type of ordinary people or what we find them doing that God uses. And we find that in God's criteria, he's looking for ordinary people that pray, ordinary people that are just using what they have, and ordinary people that prioritize mission. All right, so let's jump into the chapter now. If you've got your Bibles, I'm in Acts 16, verse 13. And here we're going to discover that God uses ordinary people that pray. And this is how the verse goes. On the Sabbath, it says, Paul went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some of the women who were gathered there. So Paul finds, as I mentioned before, women at a place of prayer. And it's interesting because if you look throughout scripture, this is a perfect place to find people that God is going to use in a position of prayer. You know, find me an ordinary person in scripture or an extraordinary person in scripture that doesn't start from a place of prayer. Jesus himself, when he faced an extraordinarily difficult um, challenge, was found in a position and a place of prayer throughout his ministry. That was his common practice. Prayer is the heartbeat of God's purpose. It aligns us to his will. And if God is going to use an ordinary person like you and me, it's because we're found in prayer. We're found seeking God's will. We're found consulting with God. We're found in relationship with God. Prayer aligns us with God's divine purposes for us on this earth. But sometimes we neglect prayer 
and I'm as guilty of as, as anyone else. We think if I just do more, if I just be more, if I just try and follow what God is calling me to do. But notice that it's very specific here that Paul finds these women in a place of prayer and it's there that they start this incredible journey of working for God. Sometimes we neglect prayer. If these women hadn't have been praying by the river, they would never have encountered Paul. We would never have seen them convert to Christianity. We would never have seen the gospel in this part of the world flourish. Prayer is the life and breath of serving God. God uses ordinary people, yes, but they are ordinary people that prioritize and are found in a place of prayer. Ordinary people are prayer people. The power of prayer that turns the ordinary into the outstanding. Now, yes, ordinary people are prayer people, but ordinary people also use what they have. And if we continue on, the verses go like this. It says, one of these women, one of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptised along with other members of her household and she asked us to be her guests. Notice this, this next verse. If you agree, she says, that I am a true believer in the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. This is where Lydia enters the picture. It tells us that the Lord opens her heart. Cool side note, it is the Holy Spirit that convicts the heart, not Paul or anyone else. It's the Lord that opens the heart. She's baptised, not just her, but the rest of her household. Her baptism in itself was evangelistic. And straight away, her desire is to serve God. And she has nothing. She doesn't have a theological education. She doesn't have a wealth of resources. She literally has a house. And she insists that they stay with her. Her first response to the gospel is to share and serve with others. Her first action as a believer when God opens up her heart to accept Jesus is to think, what can I contribute now to ministry? We know she's a merchant and she's probably got a a beautiful home to open up to Paul. Um, But it's what she's got to offer. So she offers it. It doesn't need to be something exceptional. It doesn't need to be something extraordinary. It's just her home and she offered it, offers it. And this is ministry, my friends. It's just saying here is something that I've got, my skill, my talent. I mean, it all comes from God anyway, if we believe good stewardship principles. Here's what I've got. I'm using it in service to you. God uses ordinary people. You don't need special skills. You don't need a certain education. And I felt this really strongly when I had my first child. I've got two beautiful young girls. Um, and when I first went on maternity leave with my first, my eldest daughter, I really struggled with it because I love to do ministry. I love to preach and teach and do church. And, and that whole area of my life was just sort of put on pause as I um, entered into this new phase of bringing up and keeping alive this little life. Um, and I prayed to God about it. I said, God, use me. I know it doesn't have to just be in pastoral ministry. Give me a ministry, a way to serve you. And what he placed in front of me was um, this mum's group. Um, you know, when you have a child, in when we were in New South Wales at the time, they enroll you into a mum's group with babies of the same age. And I met a whole community of women 
who had no Christian background, no understanding of Jesus, and all of a sudden placed in my lap was this incredible opportunity to minister. It's just something that I was given that I could use um, for God's glory. God will use anyone to further his cause, whatever situation is in your life, whatever is placed before you, you can find opportunity to serve God. Just take what you've been given and give it as an offering to him. For Lydia, it was her home, her hospitality that became a place of ministry for her. And we know as we read later in the chapter that it is a place of ongoing ministry for her. In verse 40, it says, when Paul and Silas left the prison, from that remarkable story, if you get a chance to read it, do, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers Um, which gives the indication that some sort of service or church was happening there. In fact, the first Christian church we know was established in Europe was in Lydia's home. Um, And it says he encouraged them once more and then he left town, obviously leaving this church behind in the care of Lydia. Ordinary people use what they have. She had a home, she had a conversion experience, and a church resulted. It's an incredible story. Um, And but. That's because of, I believe, one third thing that's, that God uses in ordinary people to do extraordinary things, and that's that ordinary people put mission first. They are all about mission. When God does extraordinary things through ordinary people, it's all because they prioritize mission. So the cool thing about this story is that even though Paul and Silas eventually left Philippi, we know that the Spirit of God did not because the church grew and that small gathering of women became the Philippian church. Incredible, right? And so if we jump over to the book of Philippians, we get a little bit of an indication as to what sort of legacy Lydia um, kind of grew out of Lydia's house church and the legacy that these women might have left behind. Um, and I, I like the way that the message version puts it in Philippians 4, verse 2 to 3. It's quite easy to read, and I'll read it to you. Here, when Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, he says, I urge Judea and Syntyche, I hope that pronunciation's right, to iron out their differences and make up. God doesn't want his children holding grudges, he says. And oh yes, Sisygus, since you're right there to help them work things out, do your best with them. And he then he goes on to say, these women, referring to the women that he's talking about. He's saying these women worked for the message hand in hand with Clement and me and with the other veterans, worked as hard as any of us. Remember their names are also in the book of life. These women worked hand in hand with me and the other veterans of the Philippian church. So let's say Philippians was presumed to be written about 20 years later after he visited Philippi. We don't know how old Lydia was when she was baptised, but 20 years is a significant time. Yet, we still see women leading in the church, and Paul refers to these women working hand-in-hand with the veterans who were there from the beginning. So we can only assume that this was possibly referring to Lydia and the other women who helped establish the church in the very beginning. Um, And so we're now seeing the younger generation of women coming through, which is incredible. And, you know, as leaders and influencers in our church, um, it is our burden to pass the baton on to younger leaders and to, to see them coming through. And, yes, Paul was challenging them to iron out their differences, but the point is there were young women still serving in the Philippian church. The Philippian, the legacy of the Philippian church was not about Lydia herself. In fact, she doesn't even get named in the book of Philippians, but it was about what the church would become as a result of her um, being converted. 
Philippians 4 verse 15 to 16 also highlights this. He says, um, when Paul writes to the Philippian church, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled from Macedonia. He goes on, no other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. Okay, pause for a minute. Who would have been in a position to give Paul financial help when he first brought the good news to Philippi? Perhaps a wealthy merchant trader, perhaps Lydia, who could have offered this financial help other than Lydia and these women when he first visited. And not just receiving support um, uh, as he travelled from Macedonia, but when he was in Thessalonica as well, the place he travelled directly after his encounter by the river at Philippi. And so I think it's safe to assume that it was probably Lydia, but she doesn't get a specific mention. Why? Because the mission is bigger than the individual. Lydia's spiritual impact is far-reaching beyond just that initial gathering at the river and that conversion of her heart and then household. This is an incredible story of how um, how ordinary people that put mission first can have an incredible impact by the power of God. You know, her win was a kingdom win. Her contribution was a kingdom contribution. Ministry is more than just the individual. It's about mission. And I want to highlight one other cool thing. If you jump into Revelation 2.18, there is a letter to the church. Um, the angel of the Lord says to the church in Thyatira. So it's writing to a church that exists in Thyatira. Um, and the only other thing that we know about Lydia is that she was from Thyatira and merchants often travelled back and forth from their hometown as they did business. Wouldn't it be cool if part of her legacy was also bringing the gospel to her hometown of Thyatira and establishing that church? But, you know, we really just don't know what impact we have. Ordinary people, this is who God uses. The Spirit convicts, opens our hearts, and finds ordinary people that are willing to pray and be found in a position of prayer, ordinary people that are willing to just use what they have and ordinary people that are willing to put mission first. And that's who God uses to do incredible and extraordinary things for him. And so today I want to encourage you that we are very much ordinary people. I don't know about you, but I'm just a regular kind of person. I'm not extraordinary, but God is, and he uses me uh, when I'm willing to use what I have to put mission first and to be found in a place of prayer. When I submit to God through prayer, when I submit my things to him in mission, and when I prioritize mission, God can do incredible things in me and he can do incredible things in you and your church. And that's what I believe. It's so simple. It's not complex. We don't need a special education you don't need a whole heap of resources. You don't need to know it all or be it all or even do something that feels enormous and impactful because legacy is about these small little things, investing in people's lives, prioritizing mission and putting God first. So what will be your legacy? Is it going to be on establishing yourself uh, in the world? Is it going to be on your job, your family, your career, uh, your home? Or are you going to be an ordinary person that's just committed to prayer, 
that uses whatever God has given you, whatever resource you have, and prioritizing mission and putting God first. Um, and you know what? I, I just want to draw it back to this really important point that God does use regular people. Um, and he uses regular people because of the value that he places on human life. And the value that he places on human life was evidenced when Jesus died for us on the cross. He died for us because we actually are extraordinary in God's eyes. Each one of us designed with a purpose, designed with a will that God wants to see us in conjunction with him to do incredible things for mission in our home, in our city, in our nation and in our world. And so I want to challenge you this morning to be an ordinary person, yes, be an ordinary person that's found in prayer, that uses what you have and that is ready to put mission and ministry first, all for God's glory. That's my prayer for you this morning. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we offer ourselves to you and we ask that you put upon our hearts and our minds the mission field that you have for us. I pray that we'll position ourselves to hear your voice through prayer and to hear your vision and picture for our lives. I pray that you'll open our eyes to the things around us that we can use um, and by the power of your spirit, use for your glory. And I pray that above all else, we'll prioritize mission. We'll see every opportunity as a mission field and that by the power of your spirit, you'll work in us to convict others of the wonderful truth of Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for letting me share with you today. It was such a privilege. And I just pray that you'll continue to be ordinary people with an extraordinary God.